Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? Good. You get your Starbucks? You awake? Awesome. Welcome to Northridge. And if you're watching online, seriously, welcome. If you're watching in the Starbucks, then you already got your Starbucks. Uh, I am so, so excited for this morning uh, here at Northridge. And if you're a guest, a special welcome to you. Um, 2013 is almost over. How crazy is that? Isn't that just like bizarre? Um, I love this time of year, though, because you get to look back. Don't you love that time of year? You get to look back at the year and look at all the things you did wrong and look, and, uh, look at all the things that you did right. And uh, How many of you are on Facebook? Anyone on Facebook in the room? Okay, yeah, a lot of you. If you're online, you might be on Facebook right now. I'm not sure. Uh, but on Facebook, on your profile page, there's this thing called the Recap of 2013. Maybe you've clicked it. I clicked it, and it gives you the top 20 moments of your entire year. And I'm not sure the code they use to figure out the top 20 moments. Maybe it's like likes or something, how many likes you got out of status for a picture. Anyway, the top 20 moments, and they summarize your year in 20 moments, big moments. And this talk is called All In, and you know a big moment often requires you to go all in. And when you go all in, things change. Well, one of the biggest moments in my life this past year was I proposed to my girlfriend, and I'm now engaged to get married in 2014. And I'm super excited about that. Uh, and it was one of the times this past year that I was all into something. And I'm going to tell you the story, and I hope you get excited. Girls are like, yay, do tell, do tell, do tell. Guys, you're just going to have to bear with me, and you can secretly judge how I did uh, in proposing to her. Her name is Megan, and we're super, super stoked to get married. Uh, one of the things I did was our first date was at Three Cedars Farm. How, you've heard of Three Cedars? Yeah. Northville, Southline area. Really great. The owners are awesome. Uh, and so our first date was there, so that's where I proposed. I, I talked to the owners ahead of time, and I said, hey, look, you know, this is going to happen. And I'd love, like, a VIP hayride back to the pumpkin patch. Like, if you could, you know, work it out. I know there's going to be people there. We, I, you know, I did it on a Monday, and so it wasn't as crowded, but people were there. And so they organized. When we got there, they kind of told people, well, get the next hayride, and we were the only ones to go uh, to the pumpkin patch for that hayride. I bought four pumpkins, and my roommates helped me carve, will you marry me, and the four pumpkins, and my one roommate, Doug, yep, that's that, my one roommate, Doug, uh, who's an amazing photographer who took all the pictures, he went there early and set those pumpkins up so we would stumble upon them and say, oh, check this out. (laughs) Who knew? I actually, we actually made a fifth pumpkin, and it was to distract her. So, they, uh, so she saw the distraction pumpkin first, then she turned around and saw the will you marry me. I asked one of our staff members who's in the building and trades, he is really good with woodworking, I asked him, hey, could you carve out a wooden pumpkin out of like a maple tree trunk? And so he actually carved out the inside as well, a wooden pumpkin so I could open it up and put the ring in the pumpkin. And so the ring was in there. Uh, and it was a, uh, you know, I did the whole thing. I got down on one knee and asked, will you marry me? This is, you could, aww. <laughs> Guys, you have to work on that. That doesn't come natural for you. Girls, you've been wanting to do that the whole time. So I got down on one knee and I said, will you marry me? And she said, you know, mate, no, she said yes. She, uh, she was all for it. Then she thought we were going to carve the pumpkins 
and just go eat sushi for the rest of the night kind of thing. I said, nope, different plans. I had uh, reservations at Andiamo, downtown Detroit, at the, uh, the Rensen, the lower floor window uh, table with the view of Windsor right there. I had called her parents and my parents. They met us there. She didn't know that. That was a surprise. Her parents are probably going to watch online, so you have to help me out, okay? you got to just be there for me. So her parents and my parents, the six of us, we celebrated that night at Andiamo. We had a fantastic dinner, and then we ended the night with two dozen roses at her place waiting for her. Um, Thank you, thank you. It was a moment where I literally was all in. I mean, it took months to plan that. And I, I mean, there's a reason I was all in, right? For those of you who are engaged or married, you want to show that person that not only you're all in for that day, but you're all in for the rest of your life. And so you go all in for that day. And if you're engaged or married, you can relate to that. But all in is not exclusive to getting down on one knee and giving a ring. All in, we know what all in looks like because you've been all in in other areas of your life. As you look back this past year, you may have been all in for, I don't know, say, U of M football. Or, I'm, I'm not sure if this is worse or better, but Lions football. Oh, hopefully they can pull out a win today. But you may have been all in in sports. Maybe it was your job. Maybe you were all in for a project this year and it paid off. You were all in. You know what all in feels like is it takes all your energy all your effort to be all in. Maybe it's a passion area of yours that you were just, you were sold out to. You were all in. Uh, We found a video, the creative team found a video of a a French artist by the name of J.R. And uh, we, it was a 20 minute TED talk that we uh, got down to about two and a half minutes. And I think it is, uh, it, it shows brilliantly what could happen when you go all in to an area. And so let's watch this video. Technology, politics, business do change the world. Not always in a good way, but they do. What about art? Could art change the world? In some way, art can change the world. I mean, art is not supposed to change the world, to change practical things, but to change the perceptions. Art can change the way we see the world. Art can create an energy. What we see changes who we are. When we act together, the whole thing is much more than the sum of the parts. I was listening to all the noise about the Middle East conflict. I mean, at that time, trust me, they were only referring to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So we decided to take portraits of Palestinians and Israelis doing the same jobs. Taxi driver, lawyer, cooks, they all accepted to be pasted next to the other. I decided to paste in eight Israeli and Palestinian cities. And on both sides of the wall, we called the project face to face. The experts say, no way. <laughs> the, the people will not accept. The army will shoot you. The Hamas will kidnap you. We say, OK, let's, let's try and push as far as we can. We did face to face with only six friends, mm, two ladders two brush, a rented car, a camera, and 20,000 square feet of paper. We had all sorts of help from all walks of life. People come around us, 
and start asking, what are you doing here? Oh, we, we're actually doing an art project and uh, we're placing a, a, an Israeli and a Palestinian doing the same job. And those ones are actually two taxi drivers. And then there was always a silence. You mean you, you're placing an Israeli face, doing a face right here? Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's part of the project. And then I, I would always leave that moment and we would ask them, so can you tell me who is who? And most of them <laughs> couldn't say. So. You know, when you paste an image, it's just paper and glue. I mean, people can tear it, tag on it, but exactly four years after, the photos, are, most of them are still there. Face to face demonstrated that what we thought impossible was possible. And you know what, even easy. We didn't push the limit, we just showed that they were further than anyone thought. All in is a powerful thing. And when you go all in, it takes all your effort. Some of you who went to the mall during the holiday season, you know what a shopper looks like when they're all in, don't you? They will do anything. And I mean anything to get what they were shopping for. Shopping could be an all-in experience for you. But here's what I found when I look back at my life. Even though I was all in with my proposal, I was, I mean, you, you heard the story. I mean, guys, sorry if I made you feel bad if you didn't do all that for, your, well, you know. Uh, all in, I was all in for that one experience. But I looked at the past year and there were some things I should have gone all in and I didn't. My spiritual life is one of those things. My health is another one of those things. Maybe you can relate to those two. But we should and could go all in in some areas, and yet we don't. And what I've found for me is the areas I go all in, those are like the non-essential areas, like fantasy football. I love fantasy football. I went all in in fantasy football this year. I could tell you my quarterback was Matt Stafford. I could tell you some, some stats <laughs> they wouldn't be good. <laughs> but, you know, the, the essential areas of my life might not, you know, have come up. The non-essential areas of life, we tend to go all in. And when the essential areas of life come up, where, whatever those are for you, we tend to be like, ah, oh, I'll do those later. I'm not sure I want to do this. And it could be, you know, fantasy football. You could tell me all the stats of your team, but, you know, maybe you couldn't tell me the love language of your spouse. Or perhaps, I don't know, um, you could tell me all about your hobby, whatever your hobby is, romance novels, golf, whatever it is. But time with your kids kind of just puts to the wayside. You could watch a whole series on Netflix I'm guilty of this. The, this, the, 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 I wrote this because it's me. I, a whole series on Netflix, and there's a stack of books waiting for you. And I do this too. Uh, come on. I watched in two and a half to three months one summer, I watched all four seasons of Prison Break. <laughs> Plus the 90-minute movie at the end. Uh, it, it was not a fun deal. I did the math. 81 episodes of Prison Break. And it's not the 22 and a half minute episodes, it's the 40 to 45 minute episodes. And so I did the math even more just because I like to, you know, judge myself. Two, over two and a half days of Netflix. 
That's a lot of time sitting in front of a TV. And so I'm just saying, we do this. I do this. The essential areas get pushed aside, and the non-essential areas get our attention. We go all in. And I think I know why. It's the cost. It's easy to know fantasy football points. Not so easy to love your family and to really pour into your spouse. It's easy to stay late at work and you know, do that because that's what you know. It's not so easy to come home to a chaotic family that really needs your attention. It's easy to eat whatever is in front of you. It is not so easy to track what you eat so you can get healthy. Story of my life. It's easy to do the non-essential stuff. It's difficult to do the essential stuff, right? And so the cost prevents us from going all in in the areas that would honestly reap the biggest rewards. And it's the same with our spiritual life. I've mentioned it already for me as an area that I could have gone, should have gone all in this past year. But there were moments where I was sitting there and I was like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. In fact, I read a book called Sacred Rhythms. The author is Ruth Haley Barton. The book's called Sacred Rhythms, and she writes about spiritual disciplines. And she wrote about this very topic in her book, Sacred Rhythms. It says this, however, if we look closely at the way we live day to day, we may well notice that our approach to spiritual transformation, that's what we're talking about, is much more random and haphazard than our approach to finances, home improvement, and weight loss. Many of us try to shove spiritual transformation into the nooks and crannies of a life that is already unmanageable. That described me. Rather than being willing to arrange our life for what our heart most wants. I don't know about you, but I've tried to shove spiritual formation into the nooks and crannies of my already unmanageable life. Maybe that describes you Or maybe you're here and you're not all in spiritually and you're okay with that, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. Or maybe you're here and you're not all in spiritually and you're not okay with that. But wherever you're at in the spectrum, if we continue to live life not all in, we're going to reap the benefits or the consequences of that life. It's going to be a mediocre life. It's going to be a life that settles for less than what Jesus came to give us. And so how do we go all in? How do we do it? We're going to look at a story in the Bible in Luke chapter 10. It'll be up on the screens. This story is a story of someone who went all in, but you wouldn't expect him to go all in. You would expect other people to go all in. And maybe you've heard this story. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you've heard this story, I want you to hear it with, and read it with fresh eyes and ears. And so let's dive into this, and I may have you ask, I may ask you to say a few words at me and just participate. It'll be more fun that way. If you're online at a Starbucks, don't maybe scream out loud. That'd be weird. But say out loud. Participate. It's going to be fun. It's like a middle school dance. It goes better if you participate. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. Here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. What is written in the law, Jesus asked. How do you read it? The guy answered, love the Lord your God with all. Everyone say all. All, all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, yeah, you got that. You're good. Do this and you'll live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. 
So the guy asked Jesus again. And I, I picture this as like a snobby, and who is my neighbor? You know, just like I read the Bible like this. This is how I read it. Uh, verse 30, in reply, Jesus told the story as he often does. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Pause. They would have heard that and would have said, oh, yeah, duh. That's a dangerous road. Like, you ne- like duh. that's not news. Okay, so they would have been thinking, duh. If you write in your Bible, you can actually write there, duh. Okay, so verse 31, a priest, everyone say priest, happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so too a Levite, say Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Pause. That would have been a little bit more weird to hear because these guys were the ones that were coming to Jerusalem and or from Jerusalem. And you got to know that was the place of worship. And so for someone to go to worship God and, uh, or having just worshiped God, leave Jerusalem, go back to Jericho, that would have been a little awkward to have just worshiped the God who had given them so much and then passed by someone who needs help. I wonder how many of us look the part, because these priests and Levites look the part. They would have been the ones to stop. They would have looked all in, but they weren't, because they passed right by, for whatever reason. They might have had a reason, but they weren't all in. Verse 33, let's read on. But a Samaritan, everyone say, (gasps) if... Every good story has a twist. This is the twist. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. You don't have to read the underline, but I underlined it for a reason. Here we go. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? I picture the guy kind of really, just really mad, going, the one who had mercy on him. Just so frustrated. You get that? Because here's a Jewish man who hated Samaritans. And he came to Jesus wanting a spiritual pat on the back. He wanted to be like, hey, you're doing awesome, you're great. If more people were like you, life would be awesome. He wanted that affirmation from Jesus, and Jesus told the story where the hero was someone he hated. The hero of the story, the person who was all in, was someone that Jews just did not like. They loathed Samaritans. Jesus set the Samaritan up as the hero who went all in. He did something. He acted on his belief. I wonder how many of us are like the priest and the Levite. We may look all in, we'll sing the songs, we'll come to church, even at 9 (laughs) a.m. But perhaps, maybe, we're not all in. It describes me some of the time, and maybe it describes you. I want to look at five practical ways. This is kind of a list talk, and if you're into lists, you're going to love this talk. So get your notes out. Five practical ways that this Samaritan went all in. 
because we want to know what all in looks like. This is what it looks like. We want to know how to do it. This is how to do it. All in. Here's the first one. The Bible says he went to him. The Samaritan sacrificed his ultimate destination to help the injured man. He went to him. Unlike the two who who looked the part, the Samaritan actually did something. He was on the road for a reason. He was going somewhere, and he altered his plans for the injured person. When's the last time we, you and I, we altered our plans to help someone else? We're called to wake the world up to Jesus. That's our mission. And at Northridge, the way we do that is we show them his love. We show people love. We tell people his truth. And we involve them into the life of the church. And the best way to wake the world up to Jesus, I've found, is to go to where they're at. So many times in churches, we wait for the need to just show up at our door. But what the Samaritan shows us is going to them is the most effective. He went to the person who was injured. He went to him. I'll ask again, when was the last time your plans changed because you saw or you heard of a need? Number two, not only did he sacrifice his destination, he sacrificed his supplies. He sacrificed his supplies. The Bible clearly says he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine. Not sure why he had those supplies, but the truth is he had them, and the truth is he gave them up. He sacrificed his supplies. In the middle school ministry that I lead downstairs in the underground, I always encourage the 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, hey, if you see a kid at lunch that doesn't have a ton of food and he looks hungry, give him some of yours. Or perhaps buy him lunch. You know, it's something simple, something small. What does that look like for you in your context, at your work? in your family? What does that look like to sacrifice your supplies to show someone love? The question I ask myself that really challenges me every single year is, do I just wait for Thanksgiving and Christmas to serve somebody like the Samaritan did? Or in March, am I prompted to give? Am I prompted in July to give of my supplies to those who don't have any supplies? One of the best ways we wake the world up to Jesus is we show them his love. Because love reaches the heart. Love reaches so much deeper than anything else. Uh, And that's why I love working at this church. We don't just go to Zambia and preach Jesus and say, you know, this is the only way. And then we turn around and leave. No, we we give over $2 million to build two hospital clinics and so we can get them healthy while we're teaching about Jesus. We show them love. We offer supplies. Number three, not only was he sacrificed his ultimate destination and his supplies, he sacrificed his comfort. The Bible says he put the man on his own donkey. I'd be bummed, okay? I'm just being honest. Can I be honest this morning? I'd be super bummed I couldn't ride on the donkey anymore. I'd just be bummed. Like, ah, okay, you can ride on it. That's fine. But he, I mean, the Bible says he put it on his own donkey, which probably meant he had to walk. And if you know anything about this road, it's not a four-lane highway with sidewalks. It's a treacherous road. We have a picture of it. I want to describe this road to you. It's an 18-mile road. The descent is uh, Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is 825 feet below sea level, so a descent of over 3,000 feet. Because of that, 
the climate is unpredictable. You, you never know what you're going to get on that road because of the quick decline. And so it was a treacherous road. At one point in the road, 13 miles from Jerusalem, five miles to go into Jericho, they uh, called it the ascent of the red. Bible scholars say that that was the name of this one area because robbers and bandits used to pick that one area to beat people, steal, steal their stuff, and leave them half dead. And so... Uh, Scholars will even go as far to say as when Jesus told this story, he was talking about this one area, 13 miles from from Jerusalem, because that was the area known as the ascent of the red, because of the blood spilled in that area. This was not an easy road, and for someone to stop was pretty alarming. You don't just stop on this road. The Samaritan sacrificed his comfort. The question I ask is, when's the last time you've been uncomfortable for the sake of someone else? Am I all in? Are you all in? Number four, he sacrificed his time. Not only his destination supplies comfort, but his time. This this one was the hardest for me to write because I love my time, because it's mine. And for me to give it up is like, ah, I'm giving up a part of me. I don't have a lot of time, so I value time. But the, Samar- uh, the, uh, the Bible is clear. It says he took care of him that day, and then the three magic words are the next day. And so chances are he stayed the night with him. Chances are he stayed the night to make sure he would actually live through the night. When's the last time you sacrificed your time for the sake of someone else? The last one, his money. He sacrificed his money. The Bible says he paid for whatever needed to be done, and then he told the innkeeper, any extra expense, I'll cover that too. I guarantee you he didn't put a line item in his budget, injured people. He didn't didn't budget for this. You don't budget for stuff like this, but he ran across a need, and he just gave. He ran across the need, and he was present in the moment, so much so that he said, whatever it costs, I just want to make sure this guy's taken care of, whatever it costs. We had a staff member who, whose house caught on fire a couple of weeks ago, and it was obviously poor timing. There's never a good time, but around the holidays, it's just an extra added stress. And it was amazing to see the church family of Northridge come around him. And even though sh- the insurance kicked in and you know, they helped him a lot, it was incredible the amount of people that said, well, I, you know, I'll go buy gift cards. Here's a gift card to Target, Kohl's, go get some new clothes. Go. Everything was ruined in the fire. And so here's, here, uh, here's this, here's this. The amount of money that was spent was incredible. And it was refreshing to see that when a need arises, people respond. I ask myself, am I all in? I want you to ask yourself, are you all in? Are you all in in the essential areas? Are you all in in the non-essential areas? Jesus set up the Samaritan as someone who was all in. He acted on his belief. Our main idea for today is when you go all in, you experience all of God. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, maybe I really hope 2014 is a better spiritual year for me. This is how to do it. This is This is the formula. When you go all in, you experience all of God. I want to ask you three questions and then we'll be done. Three questions, that's it. And, and they're perspective questions. 
kind of attitude questions. Because let's just be honest, we're not going to leave this building this weekend and probably run across a man on the side of the road beaten, naked, and half dead. Hopefully not. You won't come across that because that would be super, super bad. But we're not going to be tested in this way, I don't think. But what we will be tested in is in our attitude when a small need arises. And it's our perspective of life that will help us respond to that need. Because the Samaritan didn't know he was going to run into the need, but he had an attitude and a perspective that was, when a need comes, the answer is yes. And so what are some perspective questions we can ask? The first one is, do you have the right perspective of you? Do you have the right perspective of you? It's got to start there. Because here's what our culture tells us. Our culture says you can be either so cocky and conceited and prideful and selfish because that's how you get stuff done, or you have to be so degrading of yourself because that's how you get attention. And see, we're, we're told these two lies, and we're stuck wondering, is there, is there something else? Is there a middle ground? And Jesus is knocking on the door saying, absolutely, there's a middle ground. And it's grounded in Scripture. And we read in Scripture that God loves you so much that he created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You were on purpose. You weren't an accident. He has a plan for you. And so, honestly, that gives us confidence, right? That gives us immense confidence that we are here for a reason. But then the Bible is very clear that we have, each of us, gone astray. We have rebelled against the God who created us and gone our own way. It's called sin. You and I have it. If you deny it, that's sin too. And so we all have it. And that kind of shows our depravity. And so we have this confidence that God created us and put us here for a reason. But then we have this depravity like, I have this thing called sin that I can't overcome. But then, as you know, God staged the ultimate rescue mission where he sent Jesus to switch places with us so that we can gain a new perspective, so that we could have what's called humble confidence. Humble confidence is confidence not in yourself, but confidence in the fact that God loved you so much that he redeemed you from your depraved life and that he gave you a new purpose. That if anything is working through you, it's God. And you can't boast about it because you didn't do it. You didn't redeem yourself. Jesus did. And so we have this humble confidence that when we walk around, we're not boasting in our efforts. We're not boasting in our goodness because it's God's goodness through us. And so practically, when you come across a need, you're not going to think you're too selfish and prideful that the need is below you, but you're also not going to think you're depraved, like, you know, who am I to help? You know, you don't need me. I'm just a lowly nobody. You're going to have humble confidence and say, okay, a need has arised, and so I'm going to do something about it because God has done so much for me. How is your perspective of you? Because it's rooted in Jesus. Everything I've said is useless if you do not have that foundation of Jesus swapping places with you, redeeming you from sin, and giving you a new perspective. Do you have that? This morning, before I go on, I want to pray, and if anyone doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, if anyone hasn't made that exchange where Jesus can take your place and forgive you of all your sin, then I want you to do that this morning because that's That's the starting point. You can't go all in without that. And so would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes all around this auditorium?
And if, as we enter into a time of prayer, if you are that person and maybe you're a first time guest or maybe you've been coming here for a long time and this just made sense to you and you wanna give your life to Jesus, it's as simple as asking him. Just repeat after me. You don't have to say it out loud, but say something like this. Just say, God, I believe that Jesus is the answer for my life. I believe he came to this earth, he died on a cross, and he rose again to offer me new life. And I believe he has the power to forgive me of everything I've done wrong. And I put my faith in him, I put my trust in him. I wanna live his way, not mine. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, that's awesome. It's a personal decision, but it was never meant to be a private one. Let us know. At our live campuses, we give you this uh, card, and it's a perforated card, and rip it off, fill out the information, check the box saying, today I prayed to receive Jesus for the first time. We wanna follow up with you. We wanna celebrate with you and pray with you. It's a beautiful thing what you just did. And then get plugged in. The living the script, we're gonna read the New Testament as a church family. Get involved with that. And so uh, the right perspective of you is super important. But there's two more questions. The second one is, do you have the right perspective of others? Do you have the right perspective of others? This is key. Because God values everybody. Do you? Do I? This past week, how are you at valuing your family? Ooh, yikes. The question that always haunts me, not question, the statement that always haunts me is every person you come in contact with is someone for whom Jesus died. I didn't make that up, I wish I did, because that's really, really profound. Let me say it again, every person you come in contact with is someone for whom Jesus died. That's gonna change the way you interact with people on the road. Am I right? That's gonna change the way you interact with people in your family. If you're looking eye to eye with someone who you're mad with and then you remember, oh, Jesus died for that person. Jesus values that person. I need to act accordingly. That changes the way you interact with people. The right perspective of others is key. Last question, do you have the right perspective of Jesus? So the right perspective of you the right perspective of others? Do you have the right perspective of Jesus? Check out Philippians 2. It says this, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. I teach my middle school students that, uh, that um, uh, Jesus had godness. He, like, in his grasp, he had godness, and he let it go at this point. He did not cling to his godness. Instead, he gave up his divine pr- privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. I love that verse, but so often we skip those first four words, though he was God. Is Jesus just the savior of your life, or have you made him the Lord of your life? Because yeah, he died on a cross, but he rose again, and he's seated at the right hand of God, and he has all authority. Are you a Christian that, that loves the Savior Jesus but doesn't let the Lord Jesus alter your decisions, change the choices that you make? How's your perspective of Jesus? Are you all in in this area? This is an essential area. Are you all in? Check out this verse. John fifteen five says this. 
Jesus is talking. He says, yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How is your perspective of Jesus? Are you all in? Listen, don't wait until 2014 to start this. Don't wait. Don't put this into the category of, well, when January hits, I'm going to start doing this. Do this today. Go all in. Make the decision. I love the song that they sing before I came up here. The lyrics, it's just so intense, and I'm an intense guy, so I love this. It says, you can't buy my silence. You can't steal my voice. You can't keep me quiet. I will bring the noise. I try to beat me down, tell me to shut my mouth, but there's a time to speak, and the time is now. You need to get to the point where you're so just frustrated with the point of your life that you say, I'm done, I'm all in, the time is now, I'm doing it now, no one can stop me, I'm all in. My prayer for you is that you'll make that choice. Can you imagine, can you just picture for a second what your life would look like if you took out all the stops, and you went all in. Your family would have better relationships. You'd be more fulfilled at work. Your spiritual life would be fulfilling. You'd experience all of God. That's what's available to you. I hope you take it. Thanks for coming. Have a great week, and Happy New Year.